Hi, I'm Andy Kindler, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, Jimmy Pardo makes a confession. Yes, I'm not smart. Um, <laughs> I'm not a good businessman in any way, shape, or form. That revelation along with musical guest Birdhouse. But first, in lieu of fake news, a special report from me. So I'm recording episode 9 of PF's tape recorder here on Labor Day weekend. Fresh as today's headlines, President Obama this Thursday is going to outline his jobs plan before Congress, which of course they will reject. But House Republicans do have their own plan. Their plan calls for taking some of the regulatory burden off of small businesses in America. Texas Republican Pete Sessions explains. One of the fastest ways to put America back to work, Republicans believe, is to limit the regulatory expenses that these small firms have to comply with simply to satisfy federal government regulations. Okay, well that sounds reasonable because while corporations in America are sitting on record profits, a lot of small businesses are having a tough go of it, and in fact they continue to go out of business at a record clip. So perhaps uh, they're thinking of easing up some of the uh, OSHA restrictions or perhaps the Americans with Disabilities Act, maybe cutting them a break there, necessary as those are, uh, could be burdensome to a small business that might be kind of on the bubble. Let's have NPR's David Wellna explain to us uh, what the Republicans' deregulatory plans are. Seven of them take aim at the Environmental Protection Agency, everything from blocking tougher ozone standards to delaying new anti-pollution equipment requirements for power plants, boilers, and cement makers. Wait, what? Power plants? Uh, yeah, there are a lot of mom-and-pop power plants out there. They're, they're really suffering under all this government regulation. In fact, the guy next door to me who owns the local power plant says, boy, if the government would just cut off my back, I could hire more people at my power plant. Uh, what kind of craziness is that? See, what they really want to do is they want to make crap that's dangerous in an unsafe environment and pay people nothing to do it. That's their big dream. And, of course, corporate America is replete with examples of checking products to make sure that they're safe for us. First, we read you the six-month report, then the eight-month report. Now, here is ten full months of scientific evidence on smoking Chesterfield. A medical specialist is making regular bi-monthly examinations of a group of people from various walks of life. Forty-five percent of this group have smoked Chesterfields for an average of over ten years. After ten full months, almost a year now... The specialist reports he observed no adverse effects on the nose, throat, and sinuses of the group from smoking Chesterfield. That's the report. And Chesterfield is the first and only cigarette with premium quality throughout, in both regular and king size. Fine tobaccos, the world's best. Costly moistening agents to keep them always tasty, always fresh. And the finest cigarette paper money can buy. Yes, everything that goes into your Chesterfield makes it the premium quality cigarette. And it's the only cigarette that gives you this scientific evidence of real smoking pleasure. Try much milder Chesterfield today. They're best for you. Okay, well, painting with a broad brush to be sure there, but I'm just saying be skeptical of any large system, uh, be it a corporation or certainly a government, which is probably the biggest system of all. All right, well, I don't want to dwell on that because we've got a lot more stuff to get to, like our interview with Jimmy Pardo, who is joining us from a car wash somewhere in the Los Angeles basin. Hello, Jimmy Pardo. Yeah, how are you today? Pretty good. 
Uh, PF, can you hear me okay? I'm outside. I was going to say, you sound like you're in, the, uh, you're in the out of doors. Wait, say it again? You are outside of doors, it sounds like. I am in the out of doors. That's exactly right. I'm getting my car washed. Uh, okay. They're going to also do the interior, so we have some time. But if at any point during this I say, hey, PF, hang on, and sure. i got to go get my car. Absolutely. I'm thinking I'm being rude. No, no problem. All right. Uh, big star like you, probably going to a big fancy car wash somewhere there in Southern California? Well, I'm going to tell you something about this car wash. It was just $5 more than I thought it was going to be, and I didn't fight it because uh, I got scared and confused. <laughs> uh, I thought it was going to be $14, and then she said 19 and I know that's not right, but I still kind of just went okay and paid it and walked <laughs> away like an idiot. Okay. Well, we didn't properly welcome you into the tape recorder, but uh, joining us, of course, is Jimmy Pardo. He's joining us on PF's tape recorder. He's the uh, host of the extremely popular podcast, Never Not Funny. Yes, sir. And uh, my wife thought we should call this show Not Ever Funny, but I thought that might cause some confusion in the marketplace, so I didn't do that. Uh, yeah, we don't, want to, we don't want to clunk that up. I mean, Never Not Funny was a bad name choice to begin with. The yep. worst thing we could do is have somebody spin that off. And exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I love the name of your, your show. And, and if folks are listening to this podcast and have never listened to Jimmy's, well, that's just a huge mistake. You need to be checking that out in the iTunes. or uh, what's, what's the website? Is it nevernotfunny.com or is it a .net or is it... It's, uh, it's actually podcast. Oh, that's right. It's podcast.com. There you go. For all your... uh, yeah, nevernotfunny.com, I think, brings you to painfully unfunny t-shirts, I think. Oh, okay. Or, or at least gags or something yeah. dumb is at nevernotfunny.com. But they, listen, we're not here to promote them and their trinkets. Exactly. We're here to talk uh, podcasting, and uh, this thing has really taken off, for, uh, particularly for you. There are a couple other ones out there that people, a lot of people listen to, but you, you're really at the, at the forefront of the podcasting technology, and I'm more at the... Uh, Far back of the podcasting technology. Well, I, I, I think you're far back. I think uh, I think you jumped in with the with, at the right time of the boom. I, you know, I, I was doing it. Uh, you know, I was doing it uh, early on, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm distracted. What's that beat? Uh, my wife's trying to IM me, even though I just told her I was interviewing you. Uh, okay, would you tell her to stay out about business? You you got the great Jimmy Pardo on, and the last thing I need to hear is beeping and thinking I'm having a seizure. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm not really upset, by the way. No, um, no. nor am I. I. And I know, I know you know that. I just want to make sure your listener knows. Oh yeah, hey, yeah. As an a-hole, I'm yeah. not a nice man. <laughs> no, um, no, he's a very nice man. Uh, yeah, I, I was, I was early on. I wasn't. Uh, uh, again, I was trying to clarify. You're not behind. I think you're right where you should be with podcasting. I was ahead of the curve when nobody really knew what podcasting was, uh, which meant that I had to build up an audience from zero. But at the same time, once I got that audience, I was able to then move over to a pay format, so it ended up uh, being in my benefit to have been so early in this uh, crazy new medium. Yes, and uh, I guess uh, people throw around the uh, the name uh, Podfather, but I guess that goes, you guys discussed that on your program, the, the fellow that used to work at MTV, uh, whose name always escapes me, not Adam I Hunter. Adam Curry? Adam Curry. I was going to say Adam Hunter. Adam Hunter was the fellow from Alabama that was a VJ a long time ago. But yeah, Adam. Uh, yeah, Al, uh, Al Hunter was one of the first five. Uh, yeah, Adam Curry is the guy that had big hair back in the eighties uh, and nineties. Yes, he did. Uh, then I think he started the podcast boom. I, I, think, I think he did. He did right? Yeah, and then uh, Jesse Thorne over at uh, the Sound of Young America. You know what? Okay, I'll get. I'll, I always include Jesse as one of the first people. Jesse yeah. and Ricky Gervais and Adam Curry and and then I jumped in and yep. I, I think Keith and the girl were doing one out of the East Coast. I don't really know them, but I know that they were you know always on the iTunes list when there was only yeah. four of us. Yeah. So, and now it's just pages and pages of podcasts. So many that, uh, you know, like even one like mine that's, you know, uh, been around forever sometimes can get lost in the 
amounts that are out there. But well, I guess that's good for the uh, good for the format. Yeah. Well, it, and speaking of the format, especially your show, uh, it's a format that really works well for you for your kind of comedy and also the way you interact with people. Uh, people have seen you live, of course. You interact a lot with the audience, but you can also do that really on a one-on-one basis or a one-on-two when it's you know you and Matt kind of you know conversing with one right. of your guests. It's uh, it, and it really works well. Uh, you know what? I got very lucky in that when Matt Belknap approached me to do this podcast, uh, and he said, "I think it's you know just like you did. It fits what you do so well." Um, and he was right, and I'm glad I embraced it instead of doing what I usually do in my life and going, "Nah, that's <laughs> not cool." And then. You know, then I'm the guy that doesn't have a podcast. Um, but he, he, you're exactly right. I found uh, a really great format for me and what I do and my being able to listen and improvise and, and be in the moment. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky uh, to have found it. And uh, you've also, uh, you were mentioning you did that thing where you think, now nah, that's not cool. You almost uh, got yourself out of doing the uh, Conan gig, too. Yes, I'm not smart. Um, <laughs> I'm not a good businessman in any way, shape, or form. Uh, yeah, uh, of course, what you're referring to is when I uh, was uh, called in to have a meeting with Conan O'Brien at yes. the night show uh, before that was started. And, uh, you know, they offered me the job, and I turned it down three times. And then I finally went, well, let's try it. And, of course, uh, as I have a broken record, I, I now spend every day going, man, don't figure out that you could replace me with a monkey. You know, yeah. I'm... So lucky to have this job. Yeah, but then again, I think you know having a, a good person for folks that don't know, uh, Jimmy kind of. Well, I guess you're you're not really the you're more of the, I guess the opener for Conan because I guess there was actually a warm up in front of you. Somebody told me, and then you come no, out. No, and no, 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 that's there? not true. Oh, okay. Um, uh, what? No, no, I, I, I'm the opening act, I, and I say opening act and not and not warm up because a warm up always paints the picture of a guy throwing out T-shirts and having right, right. theme song sing-alongs. Yeah, uh, where's everybody and from? Giving out fun-sized candies. Um, Which I wouldn't turn down, by the way. Uh, do you wouldn't turn down the fun size candy? No, not at all. No, they're delicious. They are. They're tasty. They're tasty treats. Um, but it's also, you know, a warm-up guy has to go in and out of the commercial breaks and do all that stuff. Yeah. I just come out, I, and I do 10 to 12 minutes at the top of the show of comedy, and then I'm out of the way, and then it's time for Conan to take over. So, uh, even, the, it's the greatest job in the world, and, and uh, I never would have even thought for a second to turn it down had I known how great it was to be. And that and now plus you get to do the shows at the UCB theater out there, which you get to. Yeah, I, I do about one show a month at the UCB, whether I'm doing a game show or, uh, you know, I, I'm doing a new show called The Writers Room, which people seem to enjoy. Um, and you know, it gives me it gives me something to do. You know, I mean, uh, having this cushion of working at Conan, uh, which is a job I love. I'm not just saying it's a cushion. That, you know, I'm not Brian Fraser saying. I'm going to make a crap movie so I can do great theater. Yeah. I'm lucky I have this great job that allows me to have the freedom to do these other projects like the podcast or uh, you know my live shows. And, and even more recently, I'm lucky that I'm doing these things, the, the Pedro Patrol on uh, TeamCoco.com. Oh, wow. I didn't even know about that. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. You would love them, Pia. It's, uh, it's me uh, having fun with the celebrities after they have been on the Conan show. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, it, it's really running gun. Uh, we've got about four minutes to get into these people's dressing rooms and uh, interview them before their uh, their management or whatever tells them it's time to leave. <laughs> and uh, and they've been fun, and people seem to really be liking them. And again, those are over at TeamCopa.com. Do uh, do people's handlers get a little antsy that uh, you know they need they need to get their their client out there? Yeah, on? you know what I've noticed about celebrities is that it very rarely is the celebrity that feels they have somewhere to go. Yeah, it's usually the people, and, and maybe it's good cop bad cop. I don't know, but most celebrities seem to want to have fun and they want to promote their, you know, whatever their project is. 
and certainly with somebody like Conan or, you know, to a lesser extent, me, afterwards with this camera, you know, just the one camera shoot barging in on them. And, um, you know, I, I think they like having fun with guys like us where it's a little bit, you know, out of the norm. Uh, but, yeah, the management and the handlers are always like, oh, we got a place to go. Like, yeah. So, you know, I guess i got to make the money somehow. Exactly. got to feel they're doing their job. Um, so, of course, this, mm-hmm. this keeps you in Los Angeles more, so when uh, people have a chance to see you out on the road, uh, they should go out and see you, because you, you only do a handful of dates now, uh, and those are more. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't do a lot uh, these days, um, uh, which is good, because, uh, you know, it lets me like stand-up again. It makes me uh, appreciate getting out there and, and that time on stage. I mean, the traveling is still a nightmare, but... Uh, yeah. You know, uh, the time on the stage, it, you know, it, it's fresh again for me, and I get to enjoy uh, uh, performing. And uh, boy, I sound like a windbag. If you want to cancel this interview, I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I like you know, I don't you know, uh, you know, to quote the great Dan Fogelberg, the audiences are heavenly, and the traveling is hell. Yeah. Um, well, as we usually uh, do uh, in these conversations, this is actually the first time we've spoken in podcast form. I usually interview you for uh, for for print media. Let's talk a little baseball. What do you want to talk? you want to talk about how my Chicago White Sox are mismanaged? Is that how you want to talk? Uh, we could talk about how everyone has figured out the Indians, both uh, the pitching staff and the hitters, which I knew they were going to do. <laughs> I, mean, I was going to say, you weren't surprised at that then on oh, game no, 13? I, I knew that when I told everybody. You know, I mean, we were all, I, and I think we all secretly knew, but all my you know friends on Facebook, oh, yeah, go Tribe, and I was right there with them. But, I mean, when they have the second go-around here and, and people figure them out, you know, that's going to be it, so... Yeah, they, uh, I mean, I always like, you know, it, it, you know, when the White Sox are like that, it's like, oh, they have a chance, and, and, you, and you get excited about it, and then, you know, yeah, then that, you, know you know that that drop-off is going to happen eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I almost wonder, I'd almost rather have that than have what the White Sox do, where they just kind of, one day, for a week, you think they're going to get in the first place, then another week, they're in last place, and they just keep bouncing up and down, where it's like, oh, what is going on with this team? They're very streaky. The White they Sox are, are yeah. and uh, and and uh, and ill-managed. And I'll go on the record uh, saying that they have a horrible manager, and I will talk about it with anybody that wants to listen to me. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I think that de- definitely the Tigers have the leg up as far as personnel and, and mixture of personnel and management in that division. So. I think you know, but on paper, the Chicago White Sox should be twenty games ahead in that league. Yeah, uh, I mean they are, they are an amazing. I mean the pitching staff is terrific. Either if we're going with a five or a six man, um, and injuries have helped them stay at a five man. But you know that lineup. I mean if you look from top to bottom on paper, how are they not scoring runs? I've always liked Canerco. Well, going back to when he was in uh, the Dodger system uh, in San Antonio with the Missions. Right. And uh, he's uh, look. He's still putting up some really huge numbers. And uh, he is. Uh, he's just. It's a, you know for everybody that thought. You know, last year was a fluke, and then he was done. Uh, I'm so glad to see him come back this year and just be just powerful and a powerhouse as he was last year. I, I, uh, I by chance, my in-laws know Paul Fenerco's brother, so uh-huh. you know we hear it through the grapevine that he's actually a nice guy too. So you, you know, you're really That's glad cool. to see when a nice guy is being this great. Well, let me ask you this because I heard this debate on the radio this morning on the ESPN radio. Um, the designated hitter thing that always comes up. Now you're an American League guy. I'm an American League guy. Right. Your your thoughts on these people that say we should get rid of the designated hitter? Uh, you know, I don't know. Isn't this going to be an argument uh, till the end of time until they uh, uh, I, I get rid of it? If they get rid of it, uh, I, I what's wrong with it? Who cares? Let's go. Yeah, Let's I, mean, I wouldn't miss it if it were gone. 
But, you know, you and I grew up, particularly with when the White Sox won the World Series and when the Indians had those great years in the 90s, you know, it was all about, you know, some guy coming up in the seventh and, you know, mashing one over the fence, you know, the three-run blast, and, you know, that's how we win games in the American League. Yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I understand, you know, the, the purest. Sure, sure. The, you know, I love the, the double switch, and I love all that stuff, but not. Uh, and I guess that's why the, yeah, one league does it one way, one way does it, one league does it the other way. It's like you get to enjoy best, uh, the best of both worlds. Well, yeah. And yeah. then uh, what I would like to get rid of uh, is uh, interleague play does absolutely nothing for me. Well, um, I like I it. It takes away from the World Series. Yeah, well, you're in a market, though, where you can still see your, your team once a year, and I'm in a market where I can't. <laughs> so I get to see them once a year um, come down here. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with television or whatever, uh, you get to see them. I, I, I don't know. I just, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I really think it's taken away from the specialists of the World Series, and uh, I really don't have any argument besides that sentence because I don't yeah. really, I'm not that passionate about it. Yeah, yeah me either. I think, again, it's something, if they changed it, I wouldn't miss I don't know. If they started using, right. like, aluminum bats, then I'd have a problem. <laughs> I, I would, I would uh, miss it. Again? If they started using, like, aluminum bats, then I'd start probably start having some issues with the direction of the league. Which is, how lethal would that game be oh if they God. used aluminum bats? I, I guess years ago there was a – ESPN did an April Fool's joke because the season opened on April 1st, and they, it was this report – and they had me fooled for a second. They were talking to all these major leaguers, going, oh, yeah, this is going to be great next year when we're allowed to use aluminum bats. And I'm like, what? What? And then I'm like, oh, yeah. it's April 1st. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, that's good journalism for children. Uh, yes. Second of all, uh, I, I don't really have a second of all. I don't know why I felt like I was going to grandstand. <laughs> I, I had nothing. He was going to go somewhere. Uh, uh so uh, last time we spoke, of course, the conversation devolved into us dissecting the uh, anatomy of uh, studio band Animotion and their final incarnation with uh, Cynthia Rhodes and, and and that lineup. And uh, yes, why, why, why did we talk about Animotion? I think we I think we were mentioning record company bands, and I mentioned that they were my favorite record company band ever. And then by the time they finished, the only guy left was Frenchie O'Brien, which I think was the drummer. And then why you, do you know that? I don't know. <laughs> You know, um, who, who who's the the uh, uh, oh, I can't remember his name though. This the stand up. Um, he has a a bit about uh, be, being really good at Trivial Pursuit, and the audience applauding. Because no, it's trivial. He goes, I know the lead singer uh, of Kajagugu is Lamal, and uh, and he goes, I shouldn't know that. And my wife looks at me. We're watching him on TV, and she says, Did you know that? Did you know Lamal was lead singer of Kajagugu? And I'm like, Yeah. And the bass player was Nick Beggs. Oh my God! Oh my God! There's no way. So yeah. It's it's a pretty sad you existence. You know, I, uh, if I may, about that guy's bit, uh, my mom knows who the lead singer Kasha Gugu is. You know, going going with what Mal is, you know, <laughs> you're basically putting the ball on the tee for yourself, don't you think? I don't know. It depends. I mean, something if you know it, you know it. I know, but um, God, I can't. No, you're being very uh, generous, Christian Finnegan. That's what it is. God, I was going to be tortured for the rest of the interview. Christian Finnegan. That's his bit. If, if folks want to look it up on the uh, on the YouTube. Oh, yeah. And you know what's interesting is Christian Finnegan actually does know a lot about music, so I feel horrible that I just didn't put that on him. <laughs> well, he's plus, the guy that he probably does know the bass player's name as well. Yeah, that's true. And plus, if he didn't go Lamal and uh, Kasha Gugu, people would think he was making it up. You know? uh, that's a good point. Yeah, there you go. People don't have the, the obscure uh, depth. that. Uh, although, I, I've noticed you've always been, you like all kinds of music, but when it comes to the 80s, I'm just more of a new wave guy. And I know you, you know. Uh, you no, know, I like the corporate rock. You know, and that's oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think it's fair to call it corporate rock, but um, 
you know, it just was what was music at the time. Yeah. Uh, we're, like my friend Pat Francis is huge into hair metal. Yes. And by proxy, people think that I'm into hair metal, and I'm, I don't dislike it, but it, it, that's not, it wasn't my cup of tea. I mean, it wasn't my go-to, you know, thing to listen to. It really was, you know, the Audio Speed Wagons, Journeys, Chicago's, Toto's, uh, Survivor, that sort of stuff yeah. is what I was really into. Yeah. Um, if, if folks want to look this one up, uh, Jackie Cation is a podcast called The Dork Forest, and a couple of episodes ago, Pat Francis was on it talking about how he uh, gets autographs of all these bands. Great stuff. Um, yes, he's a, uh, I've been with him many a time where we waited three hours after a show so that he can get blown off by Lindsey Buckingham. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, I do get a charge out of watching him get a charge out of it, but I sometimes yeah. wonder if he likes music at all or if he just likes getting autographs. Yeah. If it's just the hunt or, or what? Yeah, I don't know what it is either. Uh, but, uh, you know, he loves it. He's got a, it's a neat hobby. And like I said, it's, you know, I, I get a little, like, recently we went to see the Cars in concert, which was in my top one worst concerts I've ever been to. Yeah, people say they're and, not a, uh, a good live act. Uh, and I've seen Toto in Boston, and those were horrible. Yeah. Um, the Cars was horrible. But then waiting with him outside it, for him to get an autograph after the show, I said, why do you even care that this was awful and... And then all of a sudden they came out of the dressing room door and like, yeah, there they are, get your autographs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was just as excited as he was, even though I was getting nothing signed. Yeah. <laughs> so are, are you ever excited, though, to see shows? I mean, it's rare for me to get excited again to see. You know, you know I'm, 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 I'm excited about um, uh, more about having a night out. Like, you know, I mean, we're going to go see the Journey Foreigner uh, Night Ranger show in October at the Hollywood Bowl, and I think that'll be a nice night out. Um, and then, uh, for my birthday in July, my wife is going to take me to see Peter Cetera. And oh, I've never nice. seen Cetera solo, so I'm kind of, that is one that I am excited about. That's cool. That's um, cool. and then talk to me the next day after he does nothing but ballads, and I think it's the most, you know, <laughs> slow-paced concert I've ever seen. And then a lot of people, a lot of people be in their seats for that one. Uh, yeah, right, it's going to be, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, you know, he's 67 years old. Wow. Uh, you know, you're not seeing Peter Satura even in 1984 when he was, you know, 43 or whatever he was. Yeah. So, uh, but I still want to go. I've never seen him. And so, uh, that one I am a little excited about. It'll but be- other than that, I'm with you. It's like, I'm just going because, hey, Ted Nugent's doing a show. Let's go see that. Peter Frampton, let's go see that. Just something to do. It'll be like that, uh, that old SCTV skit where they did, uh, Perry Como and Eugene Levy did, uh, Perry Como and he's lying on the stage with a microphone and they have him laying on a couch singing songs. <laughs> Uh, what was that called? The, uh, the really relaxed tour? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It was the most relaxed I've ever seen him. <laughs> Wait, say it again? That was the most relaxed I've ever seen Perry. <laughs> ah, I thought it was so... Um, man, it was so... What a great sketch that was. And oh, Disney yeah. It was just terrific. And, totally. Uh, uh, so funny. All right, I'm walking into the wind. Yeah, don't be thrown by me in the wind. Okay. Is, uh, is, is the I'm, car ready? The car is ready, uh, but I'm walking to it. I was uh, trying to stay behind a building so that the wind uh, okay. uh, was blocked. But now I'm uh, walking there, and this is good podcasting, right? We can agree on that? Yes, oh, totally, totally, yeah. Um, right, uh, a little inaction in Hollywood, California. There you go. A big there star we, getting his uh, you, car I'm washed. Gonna, I'm going to be the receiver. Thank you. I am, I'm, I'm about to be in the car okay. where I can hear you clearly. Sounds Whoa, good. what a win. Okay. All right. But, did I lose you? No. I'm right here. I hear something beeping. Oh, how excited. Well, I sort of, uh, your wife is IMing me. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did, guys? See what I did? Call back. That's a good. That's a that's a quick nine right there, PF. There it is. 
Man. I don't know. I was going to tell you that uh, uh, there's a gig I have now. I, I feel sort of like a, a, the single-A version of Jimmy Pardo. I'm, I'm hosting a, a, a trivia night here at a local restaurant. And then doing that's, the, that's gotta be fun, right? And then doing the stand-up comedy. Yeah, you know what's weird about it? I was telling somebody today, I'm so relaxed doing that, reading the questions and you know, maybe doing a joke here and there, trying to sneak one in, but just still just terrified when I go do the open microphone. Well, you know, I, I think that makes sense. The open microphone, uh, you've got the pressure on you. You have the lights on you. Yeah. Everybody's staring at you to be funny. When you're funny during a trivia thing, uh, you're the hero. That's true, yeah. We got to go you know, see this guy. Yeah, that guy, that guy made a lot of fun. That wasn't the usual guy just reading off index cards. So yeah. I, I, I can understand that. Um, right? I'm yeah. here to help. I'm here to help exactly. anybody I can. There you go. Uh, anything else you need to promote here? We got the podcast.com. You can check out uh, Never Not Funny on iTunes. Probably the easiest way to find uh, it. You know, those, uh, those part of patrols I was telling you about. We can talk yep. about the, uh, those. Okay, cool, man. All right. We got everything covered then. All right, Cyril. Thanks for Wait. taking the time. Uh, as always, a joy talking to you, and I appreciate you uh, having me on. Oh, well, thank you very much. You bet. All right, talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Jimmy Pardo for joining us. Boy, what a huge, huge treat that was. You can catch Jimmy September 22nd in Hollywood, California, doing the Writer's Room at UCB Theater. Also, September 26th in Hollywood, California, doing Starfish at Largo. And September 27th in Hollywood, doing Comedy Bang Bang, also at the UCB Theater. September 30th through October 1st, you can see Jimmy if you're in Salt Lake City at the Wise Guys Comedy Club Trolley Square there in Salt Lake City. Well, I don't want to uh, waste any more time here as we're kind of running up against the clock. I want to make sure we get to our musical guest. Played these guys a couple episodes ago. They are a band from Cincinnati who were uh, around in the 90s. A lot of them are still active in the music business. Uh, this is Birdhouse with Why Can't You Be More Like Your Mom? I heard your mother say you're with another And I said that's nothing new She said you're happy I said that was crappy But that's just my selfish point of view Said I'm still waiting here She said she'd love me forever Your mom says, boy, your brain is dead She's found something better
Birdhouse, why can't you be more like your mom? And once again, if you are in the Cincinnati area or uh, the Midwest and you stumble upon a copy of their CD, Serendipity Do, do pick it up. Okay, just enough time left here to say that the PF Tape Recorder logo is designed by Dan Cobell. Uh, like us on Facebook, that is PF's Tape Recorder, easy enough to find. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. Any email can be directed to pfwilson84 at gmail.com. Uh, and that's all I have for you this week. So long, and thanks for listening. <laughs>